0: Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time to come together and to worship. And God, it's just been good being with the church family today and and fellowshipping one with another and laughing together and singing together and and seeing these opportunities to be involved in global evangelism through Operation Christmas Child and seeing the opportunity we have to be involved in evangelism locally uh, at the mall as we're going to be gift wrapping and uh, as we go to the nursing home. Uh, as we just serve our community for you, and, and God, thank you for a church that's willing to, to serve and to get outside of our comfort zone and, and to share your love with a, with a world that may not know you. And I just pray that you bless all of our endeavors as we try to do that. Thank you for the time we've had to give, and for each one that gives to the tabernacle offering, and I pray, God, that you'd just bless them. And, and God, bless us as we just strive to one day get out of this gym and move into our new building, own the property, and I just pray, God, that you would just continue to lead, and God, and direct us through all of that. With all that said and done, we focus now on your Word. And Father, I pray the prayer, and way in the early hours this morning, I was thinking about Martin Luther and reading some about his life and ran across that prayer once again where he prayed that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and make us all more like the Son of God And God that's my prayer today that the Spirit of God would take the Word of God and make us more like your son the Lord Jesus Christ speak to hearts today speak through me in Jesus name we pray amen Isaiah chapter number three and I think in your text um, this morning in your Sunday school class you were in a different chapter of the book of Isaiah a lot of the same thing is taking place in Isaiah chapter number three. I want you to see that God is aware that there are some injustices that are taking place among his people. Matter of fact, he's aware that some of the leaders of his people were were not carrying themselves in a in a way that's ethical or moral. They were being very unjust, if you will. And they were taking advantage of the poor and those that were oppressed and those that were down and out for their own selfish gain. And I want you to know that our God is a just God. Amen? And He pays attention to how we treat other people. He's always watching. And He pays attention even to His children, the children of Israel. Now, I'm not going to read this entire chapter, but there's a few verses I just want to point out. Look, if you will, in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 1. It says, observe this the Lord God of hosts is about to remove from Jerusalem and from Judah every kind of security. In other words, he's fixing to put his finger of justice on an injustice, unjust group of, of men that were causing affliction and that were oppressing his people. He said, I'm fixing to judge you. And what I'm going to do, I'm going to remove the securities in your life. I'm going to make it uncomfortable for you because you have not been following me. You've not been carrying out what I've said. You've been acting in a very unjust manner. Therefore, judgment is coming on my people. Guys, may I just remind you, it seems like in our day and age that all that's being preached anymore is that our God is a God of love. And He is a God of love. And thank God that He's a God of love. And it seems like that's all we dwell on is, is just that he's a loving God and he's a faithful God and he's a merciful God and he's a gracious God and yes, he is all those things. But guys, I want you to also to remember that he is a God that's just and He is the God that loves you so much. He will not let you stay and wallow around in your sin. He will convict you. He will judge you. He will make it uncomfortable for you. He will, and I like to use this terminology because I've been there a time or two. He will take you behind the Holy Ghost woodshed. And He will pull out a Holy Ghost hickory. And that's what I used to have to, I don't know if you, even, maybe our younger, younger generation know anything about a hickory? Huh? Uh, my grandpa... My yeah, Matt knows about a hickory. My, my grandpa used to have a coat hanger. Now I know you may, Ooh, that's abuse. What? When you were at my grandpa's house, you obeyed. He had a coat hanger that hung in the doorway. And I remember going through as a kid and hitting the coat hanger accidentally just running through the house. Who hit my coat hanger? You did not touch grandpa's coat hanger. And I remember, and he had, a, it was straight. He had a hook on the end. And then the rest of it was straight. You know, have you seen have you seen that commercial? Have you seen that commercial where the guy gets that dipstick commercial? Has anybody seen the dipstick commercial? It's about the oil and dipstick and, and he and he smacks those, those guys. Seen, anybody, anybody know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Have you seen that dipstick commercial? Most of you have. That's how my grandpa took care of us. Literally. I remember you know what? I remember only getting one whack with the coat hanger. And from then on, oh man, I towed the line. Okay. Yep, pop I didn't mean to go there. I'm just trying to say that I've had my share of being disciplined. Now you may call that abuse all you want to, I call it getting me to walk the line, hey, it's was okay around papa's house. <laughs> okay? You you raise your kids however you want to, but Bible says you spare the rod. You what? Who spoiled the child. Okay, I didn't mean to get there. I'm just trying to say this. God loves you so much that He will come into your house which is in your heart and he will make life so uncomfortable for you because he wants to draw you to himself and whatever area that is in your life I just want you to know that he loves you so much he's gonna do that that's what he's doing to the nation of Israel now these are his people these are the ones that he has chosen this is this is the lineage of of Abraham that he called out of the earth the Chaldees he said you will be my people but he says because of you not living in a, in a manner that is worthy and you're not you're not being just you have all these injustices in your life right now and you're bringing oppression oppressing on, the, on the poor and, and poverty and you're, you're taking advantage of them he said now judgments come into your house and he says I'm gonna remove all the securities you can go on down through there and you can see some of what he talks about in 2, 3, 4 and verse 5 says this the people will oppress one another man against man, neighbor against neighbor. The youth will act arrogantly toward the elder and the worthless toward the honorable. That's some of the things that's going to take place as a result of my judgment. Come on down to verse number 8. For Jerusalem has stumbled, Judah has fallen because they have spoken and acted against the Lord defying his glorious presence. They, they look on their faces or they look on their faces, testifies against them verse 9, and like Sodom they flaunt their sin they do not conceal it woe to them Wow, you know, as I read down through there, that sounds a whole lot like the year two thousand nine, the United States of America. Woe to them! You're flaunting your sin. Woe to you. Oh, I could. I, I got things right now just running through my mind. Do I say that? Do I say that? Do I say? Do I go there? And I'm not. You you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. Woe to them for they have brought evil on themselves tell the righteous that it will go for them for they will eat the fruit of their deeds woe to the, verse 11, woe to the wicked it will go badly for them he's saying those that are living righteously you're going to be okay but those that are living wickedly the Bible says it's going to be bad for you verse number 13 the Lord rises to argue the case and he stands to judge the people. Whenever I read read that verse, I think about a judge coming into the courtroom and everyone stands when the judge enters and he comes and he rises and he takes his place behind the bench and court begins. That's the same picture of what's taking place right here. With God and his people, he has entered the building and he's bringing judgment. And the Lord rises to argue the case and stands to judge the people. In verse 14, the Lord brings this charge. Now notice who he brings this charge to. The Lord brings this charge against the elders and leaders of his people. You have devastated the vineyard. The plunder from the poor is in your houses. Why do you crush my people and grind the faces of the poor says the Lord of hosts. There's three things out of Isaiah chapter 3 that I want you to see real quickly, just by way of introduction, then I'm going to move on. Number one, jot this down. I want you to see that number one, God guarantees justice. You see, right in the middle of a gloomy, gloomy message, God gives hope. Eventually, the righteous will be rewarded, the wicked will be judged. The righteous will be rewarded. The wicked will receive their punishment. God guarantees justice. We bring that to the New Testament. We find a New Testament scripture that kind of is a parallel to that. And the Bible says, be not deceived in Galatians. God is not, what? Malt. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. Guys, understand that payday is coming someday to your house. And I don't know if you loved hearing and listening and reading old sermons, but an old sermon by Dr. R.G. Lee called Payday Someday. It was preached way back yonder, but it's a fantastic sermon, and I encourage you to one day dig that one out. You can find it on the internet, Payday Someday, Dr. R.G. Lee. Wonderful sermon. Payday's coming to your house one of these days. If you live righteously, payday's coming, you'll be rewarded. If you've lived ungodly and wickedly, payday's coming, you will be punished. Say amen or old me, but stay with me, okay? Just let me know you're there. Let me know you're listening. I'm just trying to share with you a little bit about what God's Word says. I'm going to give you both sides of it. You know, you you just call this fair and balanced preaching, amen? We report, you decide. (laughs) I don't want to be one-sided here. I'm going to give you both sides. You live righteously. Can you tell I watch Fox News? You live righteously, you will be rewarded. You live wickedly, you will be judged. And we see that in God's Word. God guarantees justice. Second thing I want you to see is this. God despises injustice. He despises it. And he saw that with his elders and with his leaders. And they were responsible to help and care for his people. But yet they were stealing from them. And they were bringing all the resources into their houses. And they were living fat on the cow, if you will. And then his, his people were suffering as a result of that. God despises injustice. Just let me speak to all the leaders here at Victory Church just let me say this, God's paying attention to how you lead every Sunday school teacher, God's paying attention to how you're teaching God's paying attention to how you're living God's paying attention to how you are leading and every single one of us everybody will be held accountable to God one day and we'll stand before Him and if we have led in a righteous manner we will be rewarded if we've led in an unrighteous manner, we will be disciplined or not rewarded. Now that doesn't mean you're going to go to hell. Okay, I'm not saying that. But there is going to be judgment in heaven for the child of God. Okay? God despises injustice. And the third thing I want you to jot down is this: that God is just. He is a just God. And all through Scripture we can see where the, the principle or the doctrine or the teachings of justice is there because it's a part of God's nature it's it's a part of who he is it's the way that he runs the universe okay God is a just God he despises injustice and he guarantees justice for everyone those are three things I want you to see as a result of that but he despises injustices I wanna I want you to turn as I was studying preparing for this message and immediately as soon as I started thinking about injustices my mind went back to an Old Testament story now this is a story that I heard as a child many many years ago and and, and I didn't really understand the significance of what was taking place but in first Kings chapter number 21 how many remembers the story you, you, I'm sure you studied this in, su- in Sunday school Naboth's Vineyard and King Ahab and Jezebel <laughs> matter of fact how, how many heard of modern day eminent domain you've heard of that? it's not new It reminds me that Ecclesiastes chapter 3 is is true, where it says there's nothing new under the sun. Guys, you realize eminent domain is not something that's new with any political leader that may come in office in our day? Matter of fact, in 1 Kings chapter number 21, you'll find eminent domain taking place. You'll find where somebody says, hey, I'm going to take that property from you, okay? I don't want to get ahead of myself. Matter of fact, I want you, I want you, I want you to smile when I say this. As I was studying this, I couldn't help but think, please forgive me, I don't even know if I should share it with you. I shared it with our leadership team. They said, you better be careful. <laughs> do, you know what, do you know what I see? As I'm reading 1 Kings chapter 21, and I'm reading about King Ahab, and I'm reading about old Jezebel, and I read what, I read what, what a coward and a, just, just a baby King Ahab was, and, and you're going to see where he's pouting here in just a moment. But, but what a manipulative woman Jezebel was. I couldn't help but think of Bill and Hillary. (laughs) Now, I'm not saying that's who they are. I'm just saying that some of their actions are there. I mean, you have the man that's in the position of power, but you have somebody that's pushing the paperwork. You know, that's what's taken place, or was, they're not there anymore, and I'm sorry, please forgive me, Lord, forgive me, but I just, I found it kind of humorous, and I, I don't know if you do or not, but... Sorry to get on that. My dad told me, he said, don't, you know, three things you avoid, or actually two things, politics and religion, if you want to get along with everybody. Well, God called me into the business talking about religion, so I've made a lot of enemies, as you can imagine. So I try to stay away from the politics, so I just don't tick everybody off, and I'm just, I'm just all to myself, rest of my life. But I can't let it pass sometimes, especially when it's so, when I just see it in Scripture, okay, so, anyhow, forgive me on that one. Sorry, Dad, as you listen to this podcast, I did it. First Kings chapter 21, <laughs> I want you to see this. This is, this is an awesome passage of scripture and, and I, I guess I just need to read a little bit here for you to get the story and for you to get the gist of what's taking place. First Kings chapter 21, it says, sometime passed after these events, and Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard. And it was in Jezreel next to the palace of King Ahab of Samaria. Now you understand Na- Nahab, or Naboth has this vineyard. He has this, can I, I know Deb Duval's. you're on that Farmville now, aren't you, on Faceville? Or Facebook? And, and I, I found out last night that you are the neighbor of my mother-in-law with her farm. Yeah, that's a little bit what was taking place right here. Naboth's vineyard was right beside the palace. Boom, right there he is. Now I want you to look. So Ahab spoke to Naboth and he said, give me your vineyard so I can have it for a vegetable garden since it is right next to my palace. Now he makes him what I would think is a pretty reasonable offer. He says, I would give you a better vineyard in its place or if you prefer, I would give you its value in silver. But notice verse number three, which is the most important verse in the text. And you need to highlight this verse, you need to get a hold of this verse. Actually, I wish you would live in this verse. Verse number three, Naboth said to Ahab, I will never give my father's inheritance to you. Now this is, this is Naboth talking to King Ahab. King said, I want your vineyard." I'll give you another one of equal value or I'll pay you silver for it but it's right beside my palace I want to expand my garden I want to expand my territory I want you to give me that property you see the eminent domain taking place right there now I want you to notice what kind of a cowardly or weak or childish king that we have Naboth says it's not for sale Naboth said I would never give you my father's inheritance it is not for sale Boy, I wish some some Christians today would rise up and say, you know what? There's some things that just are not for sale. I'm gonna talk about that in just a moment, but I don't want to get to the story. Verse 4 So Ahab went to his palace, resentful and angry, because of what Naboth, the Jezreelite, had told him. He had said, I would not give you my father's inheritance. So he lay down on his bed, he turned his face away, and he didn't eat any food. What a baby! You know what we have here? We have a we have a pouting potentate. We, we have a pouting king. He, he just got upset. <laughs> yeah, I want him to go there. Now. I heard you. We, we have a pouting. You ask her later what she's saying over here. Let me go over here and preach. We have a pouting king. Okay? He's a baby. He's upset. Naboth didn't give me his vineyard so he runs back into the palace. He refuses to eat any food. He gets on his bed. He turns his face to the wall and he's pouting. Get the picture. Verse 5. Then his wife Jezebel came to him and said, why are you so upset? And why do you refuse to eat? In his wimpy little whining voice, because I won't go there. I spoke to Naboth the Jezreelite, he replied. And I told him, give me your vineyard for silver. Or if you wish, I would give you a vineyard in its place. But he said, I won't give you my vineyard. You see how he's whining and carrying on? Then his wife Jezebel said to him, now exercise your royal power over Israel. In other words, you're the king. You've got authority. Exercise your right. She goes on and she says, get up and eat some food and be happy. For I will give you the vineyard of Naboth the Jezreelite. Verse 8. So notice it says, she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal, which is the ring, the king's ring, that he would be his insignia on a document, a legal binding document. That this is from the king this wimpy king's not even carrying out his authority that he has, his wife is doing it behind the scenes she's writing a letter for him, she's putting his seal on the letter, here comes the eminent domain part so she wrote letters in Ahab's name, she sealed it with his seal, she sent the letters to the elders and the nobles who lived with Naboth in the city and in the letter she wrote, proclaim a fast now you see how she spiritualized it here proclaim a fast seat Naboth at the head the uh, head of the people then seat two wicked men opposite him and have them testify against him saying you have cursed God and the king And then take him out and stone him to death and the men of the city and the elders and the nobles who lived in the city did as Jeze- Jezebel commanded them and was written in the letters that she had sent them they proclaimed a fast see try to package it all real pretty let's spiritualize this thing let's seek God but while we're doing this I'm carrying out some wicked motives oh wow that'll preach won't it you see that in our day you see that in our politics all the time it's packaged real pretty so everybody believe and oh this is a great thing that we're doing but boom there's daggers coming out left and right and that's exactly what was taken nothing new under the sun it's taking place here they proclaimed the fast seated Naboth had the table two wicked men came in in verse 13 and sat opposite him then the wicked men testified against Naboth in the presence of the people, saying, "Naboth has cursed God and the king," which was a lie. So they took him outside the city and stoned him to death with the stones. And then they sent word to Jezebel, "Naboth has been stoned to death." And when Jezebel, Jezebel heard that Naboth had been stoned to death, she said to Ahab, "Get up and take possession of the vineyard of Naboth, the Jezreelite." What a story! Uh, maybe that—that that first time some of you guys may have heard that. I don't know. What a story! of the king. Matter of fact, I remember when I was in Bible college, we had uh, in our uh, homiletic, homiletics class, we had one night. He gave us uh, any chapter you want to pick in the Bible, pick a chapter, and I want you to break it down as an outline and turn it back in. And here was my outline. I pinned this in this Bible just the other day because I was studying my Bible I went to school with, and, and I saw this, and I thought, oh, I, remembered, I remember doing that. So sitting in class one night, I had to outline this chapter. Here's how I outlined it. In verses one and two, we have that Ahab pleaded for the vineyard. Verse 3, Naboth proclaimed it's not for sale. Verse 4, Ahab pouted. Verse 5 through 10, Jezebel plotted. Verse 11 through 14, Naboth Naboth perished. And verse 15 through 29, God prevailed. You see all the Ps there? That was kind of an alliteration thing, and that was kind of cool. I got a passing grade on that outline, by the way. But I want to talk to you about some things being not for sale. Why in the world did Naboth not sell his vineyard? Why did he not take the king up on his, what seemed to be a very reasonable request? Sell me your vineyard. I'll either give you one of equal value at another location and you can have that vineyard. Or I'll give you the silver for this vineyard of what it's worth. I want to purchase it. I want the vineyard. But Naboth said, I will never give my father's inheritance to you in verse number three. Why did Naboth refuse to sell the land, the vineyard, to the king? Three things. I want you to jot these down if you will. First of all, Naboth refused to sell because of the word of God. God's word was plain that there are some things that are just not for sale. Now in your notes, I put the scripture references for you. But if you can go and you can look in Leviticus chapter number 25, you'll see where God had told them that they could not sell their land. In Leviticus 25 and 23 through 28, the Bible says the land is not to be permanently sold because it is mine. Now he gave allowances for different things that would come in each other's life, but as you go down through there and read, you'll read about the year of Jubilee. Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee, whenever it would roll around, any land that has traded hands or got outside families or whatever the case may be, the year of Jubilee, all the land went back to its rightful owner without any debt on it whatsoever. Wow, God just kind of took care of things, did he not? But Naboth knew that this was an inheritance that he had received from his father and he knew that God said, I am not to sell this land, it's to be passed down from generation to generation to generation in my family, I cannot sell it. Matter of fact, listen to this, you remember when Naboth said, hey, I'll give you another vineyard out there somewhere else of equal value just like your own if Naboth would have taken him up on that do you realize that when the day of Jubilee came around he would have to give that vineyard up to its rightful owner and owner and he would be without a vineyard altogether? Hello? He knew God's Word and he stood on the Word of God when he was pressured by the the politicians, the king of that day, he stood firmly on the word of God. Now, this was a huge injustice that took place. I mean, they wound up killing him. They wound up killing Naboth just so they could get his vineyard. Would you say that's an injustice? And by the way, guys, God is paying attention and at the end of the chapter, he prevails, but I don't have time to go and unpack all of that. Huge injustice that took place right here. But Naboth said, because God's word says in Leviticus 25, I am not going to sell the land, or I'm not to sell it, therefore I am not going to sell this land to you. Also, in Numbers chapter 36, verse 7, the Bible says, an inheritance belonging to the Israelites must not transfer from tribe to tribe because each of the Israelites is to retain the inheritance of his ancestral tribe. Guys, it's supposed to stay in the land in the family. The land that God gave his people is supposed to stay in the family. And Naboth said, I am not going to sell you this vineyard. I'm not going to take one in its place because this is, the, this is the land that my fathers gave me. It's my father's inheritance. I'm not to sell it. I'm to pass it down through my family. Now, in our day and age, that's kind of hard to get a hold of. I mean, we just really have no significant value on anything that our families have passed down through us anymore and we'll throw it on ebay and sell it in a heartbeat which is sometimes sad but in this day and age you just didn't do that and if for some reason someone got in a hardship where they had to sell the land to get some money for whatever reason God put in a disclaimer that on the day of jubilee all the land goes back to its rightful owners just to keep everything intact with all the families that's on the land side of it I want you to know also that even on the king's side God had put some laws and decrees in place look in your Bibles in Ezekiel chapter 46 or write down the reference or underline it look it up later but in Ezekiel chapter 46 and verse number 18 here's where the word of God clearly tells a king or a prince that he's not to take advantage of someone and purchase their property Ezekiel 46 18 the prince Or the king must not take any of the people's inheritance, evicting them from their property. Boom. Why did not Naboth sell his land? Because of the word of God. Because he looked into God's word and he said, God says this, therefore I will not do this. Boy, if God's people would only get there. If we'd only get to the place where we look into God's Word and says, God's Word says X, Y, Z, therefore I'm going to live in X, Y, Z. That's my stance. I don't care what the popular culture is today. I don't care what's acceptable today. I don't care what the politicians say today. And I don't care what everybody else is doing. God's Word says this, therefore that's where I live. And by the way, that's the kind of preacher you have. That was pretty weak. Maybe you didn't like that. But if God's Word says that, honey, right there is where I'm going to park, right there is where I'm going to live, if it hairlips you and the devil, I don't care. Whatever God's Word says, that's where we're going to live. Amen. That's still a little weak. I think you're doubting a little bit. Naboth refused, refused to sell because of the Word of God. Second reason, Naboth refused to sell because of the will of the fathers. Because of the will of the fathers. I've already touched base on this one Naboth's fathers had passed down this inheritance to him from generation generation to generation to generation to generation to generation and now way out here is Naboth with this vineyard that his fathers way back there from generation after generation after generation had passed down to him in all reality he'd have made pretty good money yeah I believe I'll just sell it I'm tired of this plot anyway but no he had some convictions to the Word of God and I believe he paid some homage or some loyalty to his heritage and to the will of his father and his grandfather and his great-grandfather and his great-great-grandfather how they were being obedient to the word of God and they passed down to him and now he was a blessed man that didn't have a whole lot of investment in this piece of property but someone had paid a price way back there and it stayed in the family and all the way down here it comes and it's his and of course the price is when God came and called his people Abraham really paid it at the beginning and God gave them this property. Guys, pay attention to what's been passed down to you from generation to generation to generation to generation. Don't take lightly the things that God has blessed you with. Don't take lightly where you are today because someone has invested in you, most likely your parents and your grandparents and your great-grandparents all the way down but Naboth said, I will not sell because of the will of my fathers guys, we need to take inventory in our life of some of the things in our life that we just will not sell matter of fact, that's where I'd like to park a little bit that's where I'd like to preach a little bit boys, you're gonna have to come on in and find a seat because you will be a while back there I'm glad you're here, come on in because I'm not done yet matter of fact, I'm just getting started is that okay? we get one service a week and I hope you're okay with this and give me about 15 minutes and I want to unpack some things that are just not for sale Naboth said in verse number three I will never sell you my father's inheritance and guys we need to look the devil square in the eyes and say there's some things in my life that are just not for sale there's some things in my family that are just not for sale there's some things that I'm going to stand on and where I want us to start is with the word of God. Guys listen there's some things that aren't for sale matter of fact I made a few not for sale signs the first thing it's not for sale and put this one up if you will please is salvation or the gospel guys may I remind you where can I put this, let me put it right here somebody take the money you guys take the money the gospel is not for sale and you know what we need to do? We need to put up a for sale sign and say that salvation is not for sale. Guys, listen, today in our age, and our culture, I see it all the time in churches all across America, especially in a lot of new church plants and and a lot of young preachers that are starting out, and, and I see how they are compromising so much of the Word of God just to draw a crowd, even to the point where I believe some are even compromising the gospel with an easy believism salvation. Just believe in Jesus and everything will be okay. Honey, I'm telling you, it takes more than that. Because the scripture says that Satan believes and trembles. Belief in Jesus is just not enough. And I believe that we as a church need to make a stand in our own individual lives that we're going to make a stand. The gospel, salvation, the gospel of Jesus Christ is not for sale. Matter of fact, let me share some scripture with you. In 1 Peter 1 and 18 For you know that you are not redeemed from your empty way of life inherited from your fathers, not with perishable things like silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ like a lamb without a defect or a blemish. Listen, guys, our salvation comes through the blood of Jesus Christ plus and minus nothing. Just because you have your name on a church roll doesn't mean you're saved. Just because you've been baptized and back home we used to baptize in the creeks and I used to say this all the time back there and everybody had an idea what I was talking about and I said you can be baptized in every creek till you know every tadpole by name and still miss heaven because it's not about being baptized and in this culture, in this age, in this area I have people all the time when they find out I'm a pastor they'll say oh will you baptize my child I want my child to go to heaven will you baptize them I say honey it takes more than that people don't know but we have compromised the doctrine of salvation so much. Listen, it is only by and through the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus said in John 14, 6. He said, I am what? The way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. It takes more than being a church member. It takes more than being baptized. It takes more than throwing an offering in the basket. Now, all those things are great things. But it takes confessing your sins to the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, it was your sins and my sins that placed him on the cross. They were all placed on him. And now because we confess our sins. Matter of fact, there's an old word that used to be preached in every sermon. You don't hear it a whole lot anymore. It's called repent. People want to come to church and not be convicted. They want easy believism. Just talk about things that aren't going to really penetrate my life. Don't get in my world. Just talk about self-help. Listen, you can go to Barnes and Noble's, you can find rack after rack after rack of secular self-help books. The gospel of of Jesus Christ and salvation is not a self-help, self-help theology. It's a redeeming theology. We are damned for a devil's hell, and if we, listen, if we don't accept Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, repent of our sins, repentance simply means to turn, turn away from our old wicked lifestyle, turn away from the old way of living, and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and look to Him and Him only. Guys, if we don't do that, and if we don't believe that, then I'll say that you've sold out on the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Naboth wouldn't sell because of the word of God and honey I'm here to tell you today I am not going to sell out on the doctor of salvation because the word of God says without, in Hebrews, without the shedding of blood there is no, finish it, remission yeah but you know we're dignified in our day today we're educated yeah I'll be honest with you when I came through high school the question was not where are you going to college? When I came through high school the question was are you going to college? That's changed in the last 20, 25, twenty-five, six, whoo it's rolling on up there anybody that's changed in the last twenty-five years or so now everyone pretty much knows you've got to go to college to get some type of a decent job now the question is, where are you going to college? Not, are you going to college? Matter of fact, the percentage of my class that went off to college, and got a degree in anything, is very small. Very small. Now that doesn't mean they're uneducated, that doesn't mean they're, that we belittle them, that doesn't mean they're at a lower level than we are, that's just that culture in that age. But in our day, sometimes I think we've educated ourselves so much. I mean, we've, we've got more degrees after our name that really we just look like a walking thermometer. And we elevate our position and we fill ourselves with pride and we think, boy, I've been educated at this institution, I've been educated there, I've got my master's here and I've got my doctorate there, I've got another doctorate over here. I am somebody. Honey, you ain't nothing but a sinner. Now, I'm not against education. I think we ought to educate ourselves and I try my best to send my kids on to college and get an education. I'm not against it. But don't hang your hat there. Hello? Hang your hat on the cross. And realize without Jesus and shedding the blood, I have no hope whatsoever. Matter of fact, Paul said, I am of all men most miserable. The gospel, guys, while I'm the pastor at Victory Church, the gospel's not gonna be compromised, nor will it be for sale. Hello? Whoop, 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 whoop. Okay, you can't see that one. Second thing that's not for sale. put the next one up there if you will please what I have the scripture I tried to go with alliteration then I got aggravated and quit salvation and the scripture the Bible guys God's word is not for sale you see I'm about up to here with new church plants and talking to missionaries that are trying to plant churches in America today with them promising, if you come to my church, you will not hear anything offensive. You will not hear anything that will convict you. We'll we'll kind of tiptoe around some of the areas in God's word. Matter of fact, I'm up to here with a whole idea of if you come, we'll never ask for an offering. we'll whenever we'll tell you you have to tithe. Listen, guys, that's compromising the word of God. Amen. Amen. Hello, and I'm just at the place. You know what? I, I I'm not going to accept it. The Bible is not for sale. Guys, this book that we have is a holy book. And it is supposed to be our guideline and our guidebook for living. And this is God's Word. Listen, it does not simply contain the Word of God. It is the Word of God. From Genesis to Revelation, as one old preacher said, including the maps, from cover to cover, this is God's Word. And guys, we, we need to make a stand and we need to say, you know what? It is not for sale. What does God's Word have to say about that? What does God's Word have to say about this? What does God say in His Word? And we need to stand on God's Word. All Scripture, 2 Timothy 3.16, is inspired by God and it's profitable for teaching and rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness so that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good word. Guys, let me tell you something the Bible is still the word of God even in the year 2009 even when it's getting knocked left and right, matter of fact you open up one of these in a public place and they'll look at you like, oh my goodness, what are they doing? And I love to get into St. Louis Bread Company right in the middle of one of those tables and put my headset on and open up my Bible and lay out my stuff right there and people kind of, oh let's sit over here. You know why? This book is powerful. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. And I promise you, you get into it enough, and it's going to cut a coming and a going. Matter of fact, the Bible teaches us that in the book of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12. For the Word of God is a living and powerful and effective, and it's sharper than any two-edged sword, penetrating as far as to divide the soul and the spirit and the joints and the miram, and is a judge of the ideas and the thoughts and the content of the heart. Guys, let me tell you something. This is a powerful book. And the Word of God is simply not for sale. There's something else that's not for sale and the next slide that comes up is going to say separation but I I got to thinking about that a little bit and it's after I did the notes and after I did the slides and I'm thinking, you know what, that stands for Victory Church because I want to be a part of a church that says, you know what, we're not for sale. We're not going to look like the world, we're not going to act like the world we're not going to do the things the world does, we're going to live a separate life because that's what we've been called out to do Hello? The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 17, get a hold of this, therefore come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord, and do not touch any unclean thing and I will welcome you. You see, the the, 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 phrase line that's being thrown out today, especially in this emerging church movement and a lot of the church planners of our day is, listen, we don't want to do anything to offend and we want to tear down the walls of the church and therefore we're not going to preach against some things because we want to draw people in. If that's the case, why not just start a Rotary Club? Why not just start the Lions Club? Why not start the Optimist Park Club? Why not start a school district club? You have nothing but a social club. Listen, the church is not a social club. If you came to Victory Church or you joined Victory Church or you're here because you think you want to be part of a social club and be part of the in club, honey, you joined the wrong club. That's right. That's right. Whoo, I knew I knew it was going to get tough. Amen, preacher, that's good. Amen, that's the kind of church I want to be a part po- of. Yeah, preach it, bring it. And if I got to do my preaching and my amen, honey, we're going to be here a while. I'm here to tell you guys, I'm at the place in my life, in my ministry, where I'm not going to sell out. I'm just not going to sell out. I believe the church ought to look like the church. And I believe we ought to take the prayer of Martin Luther, where he prayed. No, I I was reading his biography again last night, way early, about one o'clock this morning. I was reading some of his works. And he prayed this prayer every single time before he preached. And he said, oh, may the Word of God, or may the Spirit of God take the Word of God and make us all more like the Son of God. Guys, do you realize that the ultimate goal that God has for you in your life is to mold you and shape you and pressure you and cut some things out of your life so that you look more like His Son? That's His goal for all of us. Church doesn't need to look like the world. Amen? the common adage of our day is to win them we must be like them now I'm not against blue jeans and flip-flops I'm not against casual dress if you want to do that I'm not against those things but I am against a lifestyle that looks like the world And we don't have to look like them to win them we don't have to do what they do to win them the Bible says come out from among them and be separate says the preacher, no, says the Lord who one day is going to judge all of us remember Isaiah chapter 3 those that have done wicked, those that have done righteous will be rewarded will be judged, oh I gotta continue fourth thing that I believe that's not for sale and this kinda goes back to Naboth and why he would not sell his father's vineyard Can you read that one? Our godly heritage, and I don't think I have a slide for this guys. Some of this stuff came way, way too late after that stuff was done. Our godly heritage is not for sale. And I'm going to personalize it, and I'm going to let you know that my godly heritage is just not for sale. Tremendous injustice taking place in 1 Kings chapter 21, Naboth would not sell his vineyard because it was passed down from his father's. He had inherited a godly heritage. And guys, I just want to let you know that I've I've inherited a godly heritage. And many of you have inherited a godly heritage. And I want you to know that my godly heritage is not for sale. Matter of fact, I put before you here today, and this always stays in my office. And you may have seen it if you've come in there. But this is my great-grandfather. Grandfather. You can tell which one he is, he's the bald headed one, okay? This is my great grandfather on a Sunday afternoon with Pastor Smith, which was the pastor of the church at my great aunt's, aunt's, aunt's house, however you guys say that, we say, we say aunt, some of them say ain't, where I'm from. At my great aunt's house and every Sunday afternoon, you know what we did there? I remember as a boy. Now he died when I was about seven years old, but I remember as a little boy going over there, and they had a big shed out back behind Aunt Thelma's house. There I said it It comes naturally like that. And you know what they did every Sunday afternoon? The whole family got together. You know what they did? My great-grandpa, after going to church, after preaching on Sunday, would come home and make chicken and dumplings. Outside, the whole family gathered around. And we'd get around and we'd pray, and then we'd dig in. And we, we'd eat chicken and dumplings every Sunday until some of the major ones that led that died off. But you know what? The little short guy in the white shirt there, no hair, that's my great-uncle, that's George Cannon, or my great-grandpa, that's George Cannon. Now, he's gone on to be with the Lord, and he surrendered to the ministry, and he was a Baptist in the area that I grew up in Southern Baptist was the primary denomination and he was a Southern Baptist ordained minister now let me tell you a little something about George George was a hard worker he split his time between a horseshoe what do you call this blacksmith shop the word left me he split his time between a blacksmith shop and a logger up in the mountains that would bring logs out and work at the sawmill. Now, he wasn't afforded the privilege that I'm afforded or blessed with to be in full-time ministry where I can go to a very nice office and I can sit and I can just study God's Word and get prepared and kind of lead a church. He was in a blacksmith shop working, and he was in a sawmill working every day. Now, here's something about George that you don't know. My great-grandpa couldn't read, and he couldn't write. But God called him to the ministry, and my great-aunt, which was his sister, Aunt Thelma, when I surrendered into the ministry, (laughs) she called me up to her house. She said, she called me John Boy. She said, John Boy, I want you to come up here. I went up to her house and she said, there's something I want to give you. And she said, I believe you are to take up the mantle of my brother, your great grandpa, George. And I want to give you these Bibles, and I want to give you this picture. and she said I want you to have them and she said I want you to know that you're going to finish what he started you know what guys as the pastor I've been challenged to compromise over and over and over and over again but I am not going to compromise God's word nor am I going to sell out my godly heritage that's been passed down to me. I take what I do very seriously. I'm not, I didn't do this, listen. I didn't leave high school and plan on going to seminary and be a pastor. I left high school with one goal in mind to be a millionaire. I was, a, I was chasing a materialistic God and all I wanted to do was have stuff and I got a job at UPS and I started making very good money driving a truck my wife got a job at the post office working behind the desk she was making very good for kids our age, and I say kids we were 21 years old, kids got married we were 1918 way too young to get married kids we thought we knew it all we thought we had the the world by the tail and we were up in the financial top of all the kids that we graduated with but God said that's not the path I have for you the path I have for you is to take up the mantle of your great grandfather and preach my word. I remember, I remember when I surrendered to preach I went to the cemetery. Darrell and you guys have been there you guys, Dave Donetta have been there it's at Shaps Grove Baptist Church in Akard, North Carolina and I've preached the funeral for several of my family members and they're buried right there in that cemetery but I remember when I answered the call and surrendered and after my Aunt Thelma gave me these Bibles, I went straight to the cemetery and it was pouring down the rain and I got an umbrella and I kneeled down on his grave and I prayed and I said, God like Elijah picked up the mantle of Elijah. I'm going to pick this up. I don't know how to do it. I don't know how to preach. I had no seminary training at all. I said, but God, I'll follow you. And I'll preach this book. Now, my grandpa couldn't read, but you know what he did every night? He had my great-grandma read to him out of this book this is the little New Testament they gave him this when he was ordained this is the one that he carried in his bib overalls and zipped it shut or snapped it shut that's where this stayed he couldn't read it and his wife would read to him on Saturday night the scripture he would get up on Sunday and he would preach what he had heard his wife read to him that night And finally he got up on a mountainside one day and he said, God, you've called me to preach and I can't even read your word. I can't write. I'm a blacksmith and I work at a sawmill. And you know what God did? God answered his prayer. And the testimony that was passed down to me is that he got where he could open the pages. That's actually his silver dollar. (laughs) that he carried in his pocket all the time. He got where he could open up the pages of this Bible and he could read it. Matter of fact, there's a couple pieces of notepaper you can see where he wrote. And he wrote down some references. And for a P, he didn't know how to write a P. He made a circle and a straight stick. That was his P. His R was a circle and two little legs that came off of it that was his R. But he got to the place where he could read this book my dad told me that he remembers as a boy George Cannon standing on the street corners in Hickory, North Carolina right outside the bars and the taverns when they were in there drinking and partying and shooting pool And my dad said that George would stand on the street corners and hold this Bible up and he would preach on the streets in Hickory, North Carolina. Guys, I shared that with you a little bit so I could share with you a little bit of who I am. I am not going to sell my godly heritage off to build or raise a church or to draw a group of people. God's called me to preach this book, not sell out the gospel, live a separated life, and pass on a godly heritage now to my kids that has been passed on to me so my godly heritage is not for sale I'm going to hit these last ones and we're going to be done two more things that aren't for sale the worship here at Victory Church is not for sale if it doesn't edify Christ if it doesn't build up the body of Christ I'm not after a good beat I'm not after a rock concert. I'm after worship. And it's just not for sale. Amen? Another thing that's not for sale is this pulpit's not for sale. You won't ever have to worry, as your pastor, I want to make you this promise, you will never have to worry about me allowing someone to come and stand what I believe is behind a very sacred desk and preach something that's not truthful. I will not open up this pulpit to just anybody out there in this world I wanna know who they are, I wanna know what they believe in I wanna know what their doctrines are, it won't be opened up to just anybody, why? because this pulpit's not for sale, amen? like Naboth we've got to get to the place in our life where there are some things that just aren't for sale the last blank you need to fill in is Naboth refused, refused to sell because of the worth of the king The last thing he says in verse number 3 He says, I will never give my father's inheritance to you That just seeps with sarcasm He knew what kind of a man King Ahab was He said, I will never Sell my godly heritage My father's inheritance To you And God's Ephesians 4.27 tells us this, don't give the devil an opportunity. You know what he'll do? He'll come to your heart's door and he'll knock. And he'll ask you, compromise just a little bit right here. Lower your standard just a little bit right here. Just give way just a little bit right here. This is okay, everybody's doing it. You know what he's trying to get you to do? He's trying to get you to sell your vineyard. It's the same thing that happened to Naboth. King Ahab said, I'll give you one just like it, but just over there. I'll give you good silver for it. I'll pay you its value. Pretty tempting offers, don't you think? But Naboth processed the whole thing and said, no, it's just not worth it. Now guys, in closing, my prayer is, And I can't decide this for you, but I just want you to know a little bit about my heartbeat. As I started thinking and praying and studying on justice and injustices, one of the biggest injustices that ever took place, 1 Kings chapter 21 in God's Word. But then I got to thinking about Naboth. You know what? It wound up costing him his life as a result of making a stand. So be it. So be it will you make a stand like Naboth made? I want as every head is bowed and every eye is closed and Dean, we're just going to play that song that I told you to cue up. We're not going to have any singing. I'm going to ask our our spiritual leaders to go to the back and maybe off to the side right there into the back and you can go ahead, Dean. What I want to ask you is this, will you just have a have a time have a time of meditation What is it in your life That God may be putting a finger on right now And saying Son, daughter You're selling out on me right there Please don't do that Don't go there Don't do that Don't accept that You're lowering your standards right there That's not my will for you What is it that you're selling out to? I would love to see you do business with God today. Now you can do that there in your seats. But sometimes there's something good about just going to a brother or sister and saying, just pray for me. And to be able to reach around someone's neck and hug them and hold them and pray a prayer over them. What is your need today? What is God speaking to you about today? we just have this time of meditation. We just do business with the Lord. And then when you get to the place where Naboth was and say it's not for sale. It is not for sale. Father, I give this time of invitation to you. And I've shared what you've laid on my heart to share today. God, this is not an easy message. And it certainly goes contrary to a lot of the easy believism messages that are preached all around our country today but God this is your word help us to make a stand for you in a world that's compromising and lowering their standards on every area of their life there's one here today that doesn't know you as their savior I pray that today will be the day where they would ask you to forgive them of their sins of them, turn away from them, turn to you and ask you to come into their heart and their life and begin a relationship with you Father we give this time to you in Jesus name I pray Amen, if you have a need and you need someone to pray with you at this time just get up and just walk to the back and there's our prayer partners there for you and if not just kind of sit quietly and just do business with the Lord